All right. We all good, Dan? Okay. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to SVC. Wonderful to have you here. Don't be afraid to sit close. We, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we, uh, we welcome that. You're not going to intimidate us. And good morning to everyone that's watching on uh, Facebook and on, on YouTube today. Awesome to see, or to, well, to know that you're there, and we appreciate it very, very much. And, uh, you know, our God has done and is doing, continues to do some great things. And I bet if we all just took, you know, just a c- couple minutes to just sit down and, you know, maybe pull out our phones or our journal, we could probably write down quite a few things, quite a few ways, great things that God has done to celebrate his faithfulness and his provision and he's uh and he is so worth that celebration so let us stand together church and as they say in a lot of uh southern baptist churches back in the south let's get our worship on how about that put our hands together just like this Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. He what our Savior has done. Yes. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. Yes, He has. He has done great things. He's our hero. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance your freedom, awaken to life. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh, God. Yes, you have. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I know you will do it again. Your promise is yes and amen. You have do great things. Yes, you will. God, you do great things. Oh, healer of heaven, conquer the grave. You free every captive, break every chain. Your freedom, awaken the light. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. Oh, yes, you have now. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. 
you'll find it. He's the God of love, the God of all glory. God of love, God of all glory. Every day I see new mercy. Great is your faithfulness. God of love, God of my story. Never fail, never forsake me. How great is your faithfulness. I see you in the morning, seeing you in the fire by night. He say, child, I am with you. Everything will be alright. See you in the tears that come. See you when the healing comes. See you say the love and one I'm with you. Every moment of my life, I see you. I see. God of love, God of new vision, every blessing you have given. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, how great is your faithfulness. See you, see you in the morning. the tears that run, see you when the healing comes, hear you say the love of one night with you, every moment of my life, I see
morning light. Hear you in the fire by night. Hear you say, child, I am with you. Everything will be all right. See you in the morning light. Hear you in the fire by night. just have to look. All right. Um, I really, 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 times a kajillion, love this next song that we're going to do. And, um, you know, belief is what happens when we place our confidence in God. That's really just kind of the simple approach to it. it, it it's a decision to lean onto him. It's a decision to lean entirely upon the strength of a Savior who loves us with an everlasting love. It's a, a decision to trust in his promises. And there's a passage from Scripture that gives me great encouragement that I want to share with you, and it's from Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, in which the Apostle Paul said, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, can't be measured. Put the tape measure back in the toolbox. It's pointless. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Not anything that we do. His power. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And this is a truth that you and I can bank on. This is a promise you and I can bank on. So, with that said, that relationship or that illness, that financial need, that decision that you need to make, that miracle that you're praying for, don't stop praying. Don't stop. As Steve Perry from Journey once said, don't stop. Go ahead, say it. Believing. Do you think Journey knows they wrote one of the biggest gospel hits of all time? I just say. Uh, this is called Belief for It. And they say, they say this mountain can't be they say these chains will never break, but they don't know you like we do. There is power in your name. We've heard, we've heard that there is no way through. 
We've heard the tide will never change. They haven't seen what you can do. There is power in your name. So much. So much power in your name. All right, from here, church, sing it. Move the immovable, break the unbreakable. God, we believe, God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe, yes, we do. God, we believe for it. That hope is never lost. Oh, oh, there is still an empty grave. God, we believe no matter what, there is power in your name. So much power in your name. so much for worshiping with us. You can have a seat.
All right. Good morning, everybody. So good to see y'all. Really glad you're here. If you're joining us from Facebook, YouTube, we're really glad you're with us as well. And, uh, you know, this time of year, for me, it's really, really good to just kind of reflect back on my life over the last year, how we've seen God bless our lives, and just to be grateful. That's always good for me to do. And this year, we have a lot to be grateful for. Uh, our son, Caleb, got married. Uh, uh, he and his wife, Jessica, and then we just found out a few weeks ago that they are expecting. So we're going to be grandparents, which is awesome. Uh, and then also, we have... Uh, our oldest daughter, Cass, got married just a few weeks ago, which y'all know about. So, you know, when we look back over the last year, we have so many things to rejoice about and to be grateful for. And that's really good to just take time and do that. And I hope you will do that uh, as Thanksgiving is approaching. Uh, and uh, what uh, the other thing that this time of year, I'm always thinking, uh, because we're coming in to the close of a year, and I love Christmas season. I love just taking time to reflect uh, on the stories of Christmas. I, I think that those stories from for me never grow old. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about Charlie Brown Christmas, although that is a really good story. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, those are great stories to, to, to enjoy as well. But I'm looking forward to that time. But, but one of the things I'm really looking forward to is the beginning of a new year. And I think that I really believe that God's wanting to work in my life. I really believe he's wanting to work in your lives. And one of the things that can be really, really good is when, they, when we are hearing God's word on a Sunday morning, when we are doing a small group together and we're discussing what we looked at on that Sunday morning, and then also when we have something that we read that goes along with that. So there's alignment between what we're reading, there's alignment between what we're hearing in service, and then there's alignment into what you're actually thinking about, discussing together uh, in a small group. I think that that can really do a lot of good in our lives. And so beginning in 2023, we want to kick off uh, 40 Days of Purpose. And uh, and this is kind of, well, we're going to be reading. We're going to be encouraging you to read uh, the, the Purpose Driven Life. I know some of you have read it before. I think it's good to reread it. Uh, there is, um, they did uh, an updated version. Uh, I can't remember what it is. Anyway, but I, I think it's called the Purpose Driven Life. Anyway, but uh, but it's it's uh, it, they, he just added Rick Warren added a couple of little updates here and there. Uh, that part is pretty much unchanging. Uh, the group discussions will be about that. But then also, uh, my message is I I can never preach another person's sermon. I just simply can't. I can quote someone when I think they have something really really good to say. But when I preach, I have to preach scripture. Okay, that's what I have to preach. I have to, I have to preach scripture, not another person's sermon. So that's the way I preach every Sunday. All right, that's just the way I preach. So I will listen to other people. I do that every week, by the way. I study the scriptures. I preach the scriptures, but I will listen to what other people, their insights on the text. And oftentimes they help me teach it better by listening to them. But I'm really looking forward to this season. I hope and pray everybody will participate, but just something I'm looking forward to. I believe, I believe that God wants to bring spiritual renewal into our lives. I do. I think God wants you. I think God wants me to experience spiritual renewal. I think God really wants to bring revival to our church and other churches. I do. I believe that's a good thing. I think our nation needs that. I think our nation needs to see the church revived. 
I think what our nation needs to see is they need to see the grace of God working in our lives in powerful ways where we actually love each other the way Jesus loves us. I really believe, I really believe that the world needs to see a revived church, not a self-righteous church. Not an angry church, not a divisive church, but a revived church. And I believe, to me, I believe there's several things that precede revival. I do. I do. I do. I I believe that, that oftentimes it begins with something like what happened with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, is he has this vision of God and all of his holiness and all of his glory that just when he sees God in this holy vision, he says, woe is me. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And what happens when we see God and all of his holiness and all of his glory is that all of a sudden we become painfully aware of our own inadequacies and our own sin. And, 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 and there happens in us a sense of brokenness, a, a good brokenness, though. Okay? It is a, a holy brokenness, a healthy brokenness. Because until we've experienced that holy and healthy brokenness, we cannot experience the wholeness that God wants to bring to our lives. And, and I believe that revival is, is, is preceded always by repentance. I do. I do. I, I think there can't be revival without repentance. We actually have to repent. We have to turn away from old ways of living and old lifestyles. And we have to pursue a new and a better way. It's the Jesus way. The Jesus way. Where the teachings of Jesus, the life, the example of Jesus becomes, it becomes everything for us. It does. It becomes everything for us so that we want to follow Jesus in such a way as it has a ripple effect with other people around us. We want to follow Jesus in such a way that um, our children... If you have grandchildren, grandchildren want to follow Jesus. And, and, and I, I, I believe that, and I do believe that as we talk about this purpose-driven life, I don't think we can see renewal in our lives if we're not living our lives on purpose. If we're not intentionally living our lives, not by my little agenda, but by God's holy purpose for me. I think sometimes what we want is we want to have our holy agenda and we want God to kind of join us in there and sprinkle his blessing all over it. And God's saying, oh, wow, I created you for something so much better than that. All right, now what I want to do is I just want to lead us in a time of prayer. And I I want you to, to just in your hearts to pray with me. But I want to lead us in prayer about this. God, you are great, you are awesome, you are good. Lord, sometimes life can be filled with really good and exciting things that we celebrate, like some of the things I've been able to celebrate this year, the joy our family has been able to celebrate. And sometimes, God, life is filled with with really, really painful moments where sometimes in that pain it can be hard to see you and how you're at work and what you're doing. And so, God, today I know that everybody here, we're all in different places. Some of us were celebrating something really good. Some of us were grieving something that's really, really painful. And then some of us were, were both rejoicing and grieving in the same moment. Rejoicing in something good in our lives, but also grieving maybe for a loved one who's really, really sick. 
depressed, their life-threatening illness. And God, we come from all these different places and these experiences in our daily lives. And Lord, what we want to do is we want spiritual renewal in our lives. We want a, a holy vision of you, of your holiness, of your glory. Where we can't help but worship you. Because you are awesome. And you are great. And you are good. And so, Lord, what we want is we want to be filled with that sense of worship. And, Lord, we do want to be broken in a good way. We want our hearts to break in a good way. Where um, if there are things in our lives that are breaking your heart, we want our hearts to be broken by that. Uh, and, And, Lord, what we want to do is we want to truly repent and turn from that and turn to you. We want to humble ourselves. We want to repent so that you will lift us up. So that you lift us up. God, we pray for spiritual renewal in our lives. We pray for revival in our church and the churches of this community and the churches of this land. And God, we pray. We pray for spiritual awakening. Lord, we need that. Our nation needs that right now more than ever. So we pray for this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. All right. Let's take a moment. Uh, One of the things that's very important for us is we want to make sure uh, everybody gets a friendly welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, I'd like to, uh, as you go around, as you greet one another, uh, I'd like to encourage you just to ask the the person you're greeting, uh, what's something that you're grateful for in your life? So let's just take a moment, mix with each other, uh, and say hello.
right, folks. Let's make our way back to our seats now. We introduced this one to you last week, and I'm excited to bring it back. Our God is holy. He is awesome. He is amazing. Not just today, but forever. Let's sing this together. A thousand generations falling down in worship. Sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all that gone before us, and all who will believe, sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And your name. Your name is the highest, your name is the greatest, your name stands above them all. Yes, it does. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. And the angels cry. Creation cry, holy, you are lifted high, holy, holy forever. If you've been forgiven. Your name 
Also, I want to encourage you um, to worship God with your giving. So giving is an act of worship and obedience as followers of Christ. And so really when we give, we're saying, God, I trust you with what you've given me, and I want to give back to you in building your kingdom. And so there's several different ways you can give. If you're here in person, uh, we have a silver mail slot behind the sound booth. You can just put your giving in there. Or you can give online and on our website. We've got five different ways you can give on our website, on our app. And we would invite you to worship God with our giving. And at this time, I'm super excited that Gary is coming up to preach. So go ahead. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I kind of. Uh, I, I don't know if y'all know this. Sometimes I am impatient. Kind of rush up when I'm not supposed to. Well, um, I one of the things I'm thankful for is our daughter Faithy is here from SoCal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my that was my gratitude thing, and uh, we had a lot of fun this morning. We were just talking about well, <laughs> uh, we we started by talking about James chapter four. Uh, then we started talking about deconstructionism, uh, cancel culture, and biblical ethics. So it was a it was a different kind of conversation with my college student daughter than what we used to have when she was like four or five, uh, because we 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 didn't always talk about those things. Uh, anyway, what what I want to encourage you to do, uh, I want you if you have your Bible, open up to James chapter four. We're going to be looking at verses one through ten. If you use your phone, uh, James four one through ten. Uh, so I'm going to be reading here in a few minutes from uh, the NIV text of James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Uh, I want to introduce you to one of my school teachers. Her name was Scottish Sheets. And uh, Mrs. Sheets was, um, oh man, she's one of these people who kind of like defies description in some ways. Uh, she was... She, well, she, she had kind of long graying hair. She had, uh, these like, I, I don't know what kind of glasses they were, but they were kind of big and they made her eyes look even bigger, you know? It was like nothing could escape the all-seeing eyes of Scottish Yeats, all right? Uh, but she, you know, there was always a few whiffs of hair here, there, going in different directions. Uh, she was, uh, the way she would enter a space, the way that she would uh, occupy a space uh, is she was a force. She was a force to be respected by everyone, by everyone. She was intimidated by nothing and no one. And uh, you just kind of knew she was the boss. It's just kind of the way it was. And um, she, uh, she, she taught uh, a class. My, I took both sociology and psychology under her in my junior year of high school, which was a very, very fascinating year for me. Because the first part of my year was extremely miserable. I wasn't following Jesus. My life was a mess. There was a lot of pain, a lot of anger all bound up inside of me. Uh, and then in, uh, around Christmas time that year, I went to this Christmas conference with a bunch of high school kids uh, up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I rededicated my life to Christ. And when I came back, I came back a changed person. So I experienced, I experienced Mrs. Sheets as this high school kid with a big chip on his shoulder. And then I experienced Mrs. Sheets as someone who was wanting to follow Jesus and whose life changed 
Even It changed even the way I, did, I approached my studies and everything. So I got to experience it from two different perspectives, which was really good for me. So one time, one time there were a group of young men who were having a conversation, and um, I may or may not have been a part of that conversation. That, that part is immaterial, whether I was or wasn't. Uh, but this group of young men, uh, teenage uh, boys, were talking. I almost said we. But were talking uh, in a way that teenage boys sometimes talk. And they really need someone to slap them in the back of the head, okay? Uh, but we were talking, and I, I will just clean this up because there are ladies present and because we're in church. But they were talking in a way that was not necessarily edifying of some young women, all right? So, and uh, of course, these young men, whoever they were, they were assuming that they were escaping the all-seeing eyes of Scottish Sheet and the ears that never missed anything Scottish Sheets. And so uh, they were talking, and um, and Mrs. Sheets didn't <laughs> she didn't take crap off anybody. She didn't, and, and she was like, you know, for her, she's hearing this. For her, she's thinking about other young people who are hearing this, particularly girls. And then she's thinking about I'm hearing this, and then she's thinking about these young men are following a path of foolishness that's destructive for their lives. And we were. And we got, we, oh, excuse me, they got, those guys got the biggest tongue lashing of their lives. I mean, it was like, you know, you felt like scalding water had been poured over you, all right? It was just like, it was like, um, it was like, uh, it was a tongue lashing. Have you ever had a tongue lashing that in the moment, felt unpleasant, but later you found that it was really good for you. Have you ever had that tongue lashing? Okay, a few of you have, right? Not everybody, but a few of you, you've had that. I mean, there are tongue lashings that are inexcusable. They're inexcusable. It's just verbal violence towards another person. But there's also a kind of tongue lashing that can actually be for your, your, your good. It comes from a heart of love. It comes from a heart of, I want something better for you. I'm really concerned about the direction your life is going in. And sometimes in the Bible, we come across what can feel like, at times, like a tongue lashing. Uh, in the book of James, James is writing. James introduces himself to the people he's writing to. He says, James, the servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And so that's, that's, just, that's, that's James 1, verse 1. We're not looking at that. I just want you to know the context here. James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He was a highly respected uh, one of the apostles. Uh, along with with uh, Peter, you remember Peter. Along with uh, along with James, uh, and and with uh, with John, the brother of James, he was considered to be one of the. There were two Jameses. Okay, there was James, the disciple of Jesus. James, the half brother of Jesus. This was written by James, the half brother of Jesus, and he was one of the leaders, principal leaders in in the church in Jerusalem. 
And what had happened at that time is there, there, uh, that, that Stephen, one of the members of their church, was stoned and killed because of his testimony of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that a persecution broke out and that the people were scattered. The, that the Christians, many of the Christians, not the apostles, were scattered. And that same word scatter is the same word that's used in James 1.1. 1, 1. In other words, these people to whom James is writing were members of his own congregation. They had been members of his own congregation at one time in Jerusalem. But now they were way out in other parts uh, of the ancient world. And James was writing to them, and he was writing to them with great concern. Uh, some of the things that mark the church, I'm just going to read this for you because if I don't read it, I'm going to get it wrong. Okay, uh, But, but uh, some of the things that, that marked the church and marked these early Jewish believers is uh, uh, they, they, in James' day, there, were, they were, there was a lot of internal conflict in the churches. There were a lot of angry words. There were a lot of slanderous comments. There, were a lot, there was a lot of fighting. There were a lot of quarrels. There were a lot of evil desires. There was a lot of prayerlessness. And then there was prayer. But it was prayer that was shaped by evil motives. There was spiritual unfaithfulness to God and there was worldliness. And by the way, in every generation of the church, there have been churches and Christians just like this, including our modern generation. I I, I came across this... um, this quote, I've got to read this for you. Uh, I came across this quote while I was reading and while I was studying, preparing for this message. And anybody know who Baruch Spinoza was? Uh, nobody? Okay. Anyway. Uh, it, but he was a Jewish philosopher. And if you haven't read much philosophy or anything like that, I don't expect you to know who he was. But anyway, he was a Jewish philosopher. And he probably lived, I think, in the 1600s. I can't remember. Uh, but he, he, but, but. But he was a Jewish philosopher, and he wrote this. He said this, and this is what he wrote about Christians. This was his, kind of what he saw. You know, this was his, how he felt like he was seeing Christians represent themselves in his world. And he said this. He said, I have often wondered, okay, I've often wondered about, uh, wondered that persons who make a boast of professing the Christian religion. So he's often wondered about these so-called Christians. I've wondered Uh, I I have often wondered uh, that persons who make a boast of professing uh, Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily towards one another such bitter hatred that this, rather than the virtues which they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. I think I was sharing with you a little bit uh, a while back that I had been reading about the Protestant Reformation. One of the things that, that, that to me is like a lot of people like to, to look at people like Martin Luther or John Calvin or other of these Protestant reformers, and they like to they have a very res, exaggerated sense of their goodness. And they ignore the fact that they used to kill each other. I mean, if you were an Anabaptist, and I told you about this a while back, if you were an Anabaptist, all the Anabaptist means is rebaptized. It means that there were some people who became believers in Jesus and believed that they should be baptized. And you know what Christians did to Christians who were baptized? They said, well, if a little bit of water 
is good, a lot of water would be better. And they'd hold them underwater, drown them to death, because they got baptized. There's a reason why Baruch Spinoza wrote what he wrote. The reason that a lot of non-Christians walk away from Christianity has nothing to do with Jesus. It has more to do with the bitterness. Maybe we're not killing one another, but sometimes our words are murderous in the way we speak of one another. And this is a little bit of what James was addressing when he writes to these Jewish Christians in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Let me read this for you. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, okay, pause. If you're fighting, quarreling, if you have an argument going with a person, and someone asks you, why are you guys quarreling? Well, he is so unreasonable, or she is so obstinate. See, whenever we find ourselves in a quarrel with another person, it's very easy to look and say, it's his fault. It's her fault. Jane says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Oh, by the way, desires. Mm. Uh, It's a Greek word in Greek, obviously. (laughs) Uh, the Greek word here translated as desires, it's hedone. Does that word sound familiar to you? Yeah, hedonism. That's where we get our word hedonism. you got a hedonistic heart. That's why you guys are fighting and quarreling. It's because of the hedonism in your own heart, your own personal heart. You desire, but you don't have. So you kill. Uh, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. By the way, what's that Greek word for pleasures? Anybody tell me? Hedonay. He says it again. Just in case you didn't get it the first time, I want you to get it now. Even when you pray, you pray with hedonistic desires. You want what you want for yourself. You want what you want for yourself. That's what governs and shapes the way you pray. That's what James is saying. And then he says this, you adulterous people. Now, by the way, remember again, he's he's writing to who? Jewish Christians. Ancient Jewish Christians who were extremely well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures. And when you read through the Old Testament, what you see is that, 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 that Israel was God's bride. And that God was Israel's groom. And whenever Israel would follow the false gods of pagan religions, the prophets would, would call them uh, adulteresses because they were they were being unfaithful to their god and so what 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 james does here i mean if i did this with you guys you'd probably get kind of upset if i called you a bunch of adulteresses okay but james says you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against god Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture speaks without reason? 
that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. But he, God, gives us more grace. This is an abrupt change. Please get this. But he, but God, gives us more grace. Well, wait a second, wait a second. If we're this bad, don't we need judgment? But you're talking about grace. I mean, you know, I would kind of think, you know, if, if we're really a bunch of adulteresses, don't, aren't you expecting now, um, like, kind of like, I don't know, a word of judgment? Boom. You know, zap, you guys are dead. No, no, no. But he, God, gives more grace. What he does is he brings good news to the bad news. The good news is, the bad news is, you have the hearts of spiritual unfaithfulness. The good news is, but God, um, God gives you more grace. And he quotes here from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, and he says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor, gives grace. To the humble. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Come near. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Wash your hands you sinners. Purify your hearts you double minded. Grieve, mourn and well. Change your laughter to mourning. And your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. So real, real quickly. Um. You know, one thing I, I want to make sure is clear here um, is that what, what James is not doing, and, and because, you know, when you read this, and if you read it without context, it's easy to read this, that James, it, it sounds like James is preaching a gloomy religion. It could kind of sound like that. To the uninitiated ear, to a person who hasn't spent a lot of time reading, studying the text, studying the context, it could sound like he's, he's saying that to be truly religious, you need to have a sour face. All right? It, it, I, mean, I mean, I mean, that's kind of the way it would come across to me, you know, when he says, you know, grieve, mourn, well, change your, your laughter, mourning, your joy. Hey, are you laughing? Knock it off. Are you smiling? Knock it off. You're in church, you know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see a few of you are smiling, all right? I, I actually think we should smile in church. I do. I do. But there is an unholy kind of laughter that you'll hear from a group of teenage boys when they're talking about unholy things. There is an unholy kind of laughter in unholy people that God wants us to have nothing to do with. And that's what James is speaking to here. So just three things real quick. I'll try to, to do this as quickly as I can. Is There are three things I want you to see in the text. And that, that the first thing is simply this. It is sin within. When I'm saying sin within, it, it's my sin in my heart. When I'm saying sin within, I'm saying it's your sin in your heart. It's sin within that wrecks our relationships. It's sin in the heart that wrecks our relationships. It wrecks our relationships with other people. It wrecks our relationship with God. So where do I see it in the text? Uh, Is that, 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 well, first of all, uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Uh, So it, 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 that what, what James here, when he speaks to this sin in their hearts, he, 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 he kind of, identifies, he kind of talks about it in four different ways. 
And the first, first is he talks about their fighting and their quarreling with each other. They, they were fighting, they were quarreling with each other. A groom. Again, this looks like, looks like a, a group of teenage boys. Or it looks like, in, in, in what, 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 uh, what James says is that, that he, says, um, he says, what causes quarrels, fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. It's kind of like, you ever seen two little children? Let's just say one's three, one's two. And their two-year-old has a toy the three-year-old wants. You ever seen that? What does the three-year-old do? Oh, you had it first. You, you play with it. Enjoy it. Isn't that what the three-year-old does? No, 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 no. And, and kind of what James is saying here is that when we're, not feeling, when we're not following Jesus, we're a lot like two-year-olds and three-year-olds. We want what someone else wants. And if we have it within our means, we'll take it away from them. Um, you know, that, that, um, that what we see here is, um, is because of their evil desires, they had murderous hearts with murderous words. They, they coveted, they couldn't get what they wanted, so they would quarrel and fight. Sometimes Christians aren't very different from children. The, the secondly, James points to sin within by expressing itself in, 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 in the way of prayerlessness. In, in verse 2, it says, you desire but do not have. Or at the end of verse 2, he says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. By the way, prayerlessness, prayerlessness, prayerlessness. Wow. This concerns me for the church in North America today. Prayerlessness. By the way, prayerlessness is always sin. Did you know that? Prayerlessness is always sin. When we shrink away from... See, prayer is entering the presence of God. And when we shrink away from being in the presence of God, that's never driven, never guided by something good. There's a guy, I can't remember his name. What's his name? Okay, I got it down here somewhere. Oh, Sam Alberry. Uh, he is a, a pastor. He is an author. Uh, he, uh, he wrote an exposition of the book of James. I haven't read the whole thing. I've only read bits and pieces of it. It's super good. Super, super good. But he talks about this issue of prayerlessness, and he says this. He says, prayerlessness is a sign. It's a sign. It's a sign that someone is trying to run things on their own strength. Any of us ever done that? Prayerlessness is a sign that someone's trying to run things on their own strength for their own sake. You ever done that? Try to run things on your own strength for your own sake? Yeah. Prayerlessness is a sign that someone's trying to run things under their own strength for their own sake sake and under their own authority. God's not the boss of me. I do things my way. My way. There's a lot of my way Christianity. That's not really Christian. He goes on to say this. Uh, he says, prayerlessness arises from a sense of independence from God. So to, that instead of praying about our desires, we indulge them. Instead of praying about our desires, we indulge our desires. Rather than 
trusting in the Father who delights in giving good gifts to his children, we ourselves decide what is good and seek to gain it through our own efforts. Wow. My mind just went to Genesis chapter 3. Just went to Genesis chapter 3 real, real quick here. This is important. This is important because it lays a foundation for how you understand the Bible. When you read through Genesis chapter 1, God creates day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. Seven different times, seven different times, he rests on day 7. But seven different times in those six days, God looks back on what he created. And each time he looks back, he said, the Bible says he saw that it was good. Seven times. Six times it says he saw that it was good. And the seventh time he says he saw that it was very good. See, everything that God created was good. But you and I know there's a lot of stuff in creation that's not good. Genesis chapter 3. God had told the man and the woman that they were not to eat from the tree that was in the center of the, of the Garden of Eden, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When, when you read in Genesis chapter 3, go back and read it today when you go home. The Bible says that, you know, that, that Satan came to uh, Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent. And, 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 and the serpent questions, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, and, 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 and what Eve says was we may eat from every tree in the garden, but we must not eat from the tree in the center of the garden. For the day that we eat of it, we will die. And, 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 and what the serpent does is he says, you won't die. You surely shall not die. God knows that when you eat from it, you will be like God. See, this is what, the, this is what Satan tries to get us to do. Is he tries to, to, to fan this flame of desire, unholy desire in our lives. And he likes to try to get us to question, oh, God is withholding something from me. When God says, thou shalt not, oh, that means that God's trying to cheat me. He's trying to cheat me from what I deserve and want. And what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 is it says that the, that the woman looked at the tree and saw that it was good. She, she saw the very thing is good that God said, you shall not eat from it. She saw it as good, just as God saw that what he created was good. In a a sense, she said, I am God. I define what is good for me. That is always at the root of all sin. It is pride. It is seeing God as trying to deprive us of something. And seeing him as evil. And seeing our desires as good. All right, I'll get away from that. I apologize. I kind of rambled there. Prayerlessness, prayerlessness. Um, third thing that James points out here is a sin often expresses itself with praying with impure motives. That, 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 that what he says here uh, in, in verse 3, at, at the end of verse 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And then verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive wine because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He may. Mm. They pray with wrong motives 
to spend what they get on their evil pleasures. I want what I want, God. And I want you to give, me, give it to me. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, after you say, in Jesus' name, amen, and I claim it by faith, amen. Oh, my goodness. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't teach us to pray. You know, it's very interesting. When Jesus teaches us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, it's called the, the Lord's Prayer. First things he, the first three things that we're supposed to pray for are what? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed is um, uh, it's an imperative. It means God, make your name holy. Sanctify your name. Sanctify your name. Honor, glorify your name. The first thing we are to pray for is the honor and the glory of the name of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What we pray for is the coming of the kingdom of Jesus. That's the second thing we're to pray for. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Whose will? God's will. Not my will. God's will. Then the next three things we pray for is we pray for God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. God's pardon. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And for God's protection, deliver us from evil. When we, you know, this whole idea of praying in the name of Jesus, there's no such thing as praying in the name of Jesus unless we are praying the way Jesus would, would pray if he were us. That we're supposed to pray about the things that are it's what God wants for you, for me. Not just what I want for myself hedonistically. Does that make sense? But they were praying with evil motives. They were praying with evil motives. Uh, they were, uh, they were finally, that they, they were, uh, there were spiritual unfaithfulness. And so finally, you know, what, what, you know, finally, James just says, you adulterous people. Don't you know the friendship with the world means enmity against God? You adulterous people. It's like, you know, um, it's like a man married to a woman, but he's flirting with a woman who's not his wife. See, there's a kind of Christianity that's like that. It, it, it's, it's like, you know, we're in this covenant relationship with God, but we're flirting with the world. You adulterous people. Says James, uh, don't you know the friendship with the world? And, and, and don't you know that making friends with the, the values, the worldly values of our world? You know, Paul says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't, be, don't let the world shape you in its way of thinking. Don't let the world shape you in your affections. Uh, that that it, it, he he goes on to say that 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 not only does friendship with the world uh, make you spiritually unfaithful, he goes on to say that 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 anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 
spiritual unfaithfulness. Um, I'm, I got bogged down. I apologize. I got bogged down. Uh, so the first thing that we're supposed to see, what was it? Okay, it's sin within that wrecks our relationships with others, with God. Secondly, God wants to deal graciously with us. He wants to show us his grace. <coughs> and that's what we see in verse 6 is that, but he, God, gives more grace. See, see. What, what, what God is trying to do here and what, what James was trying to do with these early Christians is he wanted them to see where in their lives, their lives were out of, of sync with God. But, but then he wants to tell them so much about something that's wonderful and beautiful. But he, God, gives us more grace. See, God does it. He didn't give them grace because they deserved it. He wasn't giving them grace because they deserved it. He was giving them grace because they needed it. Do we deserve God's grace? No, but we need it. So when we are in our sin, it's not a time for us to withdraw from God. It's a time for us to draw near to God. Why? For grace. See, what God, it's, we, if we're not careful, we hear the tongue lashing, but we miss all the good in it. James is saying, here, here, there's not judgment for you. There is grace for you. He gives more grace. By the way, I, 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 I have to look this up again, but I'm pretty sure the word there for more, I'm not going to do that. I'll, 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 I'm not going to say what I don't know for sure. Okay? He gives us more grace. That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud because shows favor. or The word here, favor, charis, means grace. More favor, more grace to the humble. And then verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Okay? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come near to God, draw near to God, and he will come near, draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, well, your sin. Grieve it. Grieve your sin. Grieve, mourn, well. Change your laughter, unholy laughter. Like that group of, you know, 16-year-old boys. Uh, change your laughter, your unholy laughter, your joy, your unholy joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So, <clears throat> real quick. Real quick. I keep saying real quick and then I keep going. Sorry. All right. I'm trying to rush myself. Quick, Gary. Ten imperatives. Ten imperatives. Ten commands. Okay? Ten commands. Submit to God. That's number one. Resist the devil. By the way, you know what it means to resist the devil? It means you do not deny there is a devil, nor do you cower in fear. You do not cower in fear. You resist him. You put your finger in his chest. And you speak forcefully, like I sometimes speak where spit is coming out of my mouth. You speak forcefully. You put your finger in his chest where it knocks him backwards. You resist the devil. You know what the Bible says? He will flee from you. You are not to live intimidated by darkness. We are not to live intimidated. We are to live boldly, courageously. 
submit. But by the way, don't try doing that with the devil if you haven't first submitted to God. Because then you're toast, okay? You try to put your finger in the chest of the devil when you are not submitted to God, you are toast, all right? Burnt toast, all right? you're, You're done, all right? Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Wash your hands, you sinners. That means get rid of sinful actions. Purify your hearts. That means um, purify the attitudes in your hearts. Grieve more and well your sin. Change your laughter, your unholy laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Kind of like what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. You remember this from Jesus? Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Awesome. For they will be comforted. See, when we grieve our sin, mourn our sin, we will receive the holy comfort of God. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And guess what? He'll lift you up. I see, I don't know if I said that third point. When we humble ourselves and repent, then God will draw near to us. He will, we will experience his grace, and he will lift us up. God cares enough about us. James cared enough about these early Christians to give them a Scottish sheet's tongue lashing. It wasn't meant to demean them. It was meant to drive them to the grace of God. When our hearts and minds are shaped by worldly values, when uh, evil desires reign in our hearts, God speaks to us with a holy, uh, you may not like this term, and this may be totally wrong for me to say this, but a holy tongue lashing, not to injure us, but to warn us. Not to, yes, does he want us to humble ourselves? Yes. But not to leave us down, but to lift us up. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. God wants us to humble ourselves, to repent, to draw near to him so that he might lift us up. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You are holy. Lord, my prayer, gee, I just pray that you would work through your word, not mine, uh, in the hearts of All of us. I pray, God, that you would, through your spirit, apply this word to my heart, my life, my mind. And, God, I pray that through your spirit you would work through your word in our hearts so that we will grieve our sin where there is sin, that we will repent where we need to repent so that you can lift us up. I pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you so very much, Gary. You know, um, as we head into Thanksgiving, um, gratitude, of course, is on the mind. And one of the things that I am grateful for is that we receive from Jesus and we receive from his word. We, we, we receive from Gary's teaching of his word, truth and grace. We need truth. And we also need grace. And I'm so grateful that we have that in Jesus. And I'm great. I, that's just what I... I want us to stand, and we're going to go out this week. We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving, and um, uh, and I want to send us off with grateful.
hearts, grateful for truth and grace. Will you stand with us, please? Put our hands together, church. And let's worship one last time together. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us die as King. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, Hero of Heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captain and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance with your freedom, awakens alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. And on that note, I want to send you on your way. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today.